Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 305. Today's big Bible question, what is gossip and why is it so bad for us? Well, hello, friends, and happy Tuesday to you. I do want to say I think we've reached a little over 300 episodes of the show. We are just past day 300 of the year And uh, we have 65 days left to go. Of course, it is a leap year. 65 days and we're out of 2020. Now, what difference that will make, I have no idea, but I am sort of looking forward to 2021. I don't know if you are. Well, today's podcast presents a topic we've covered before, sort of. Uh, Not on this exact show, and we're not going to cover it in the exact same way, of course, but you see, way back in 2019, which feels like a couple of centuries ago, this podcast was originally the Bible Questions podcast, then it became the Bible Mystery podcast later in 2019, and then at the end of 2019, thanks in part to the encouragement of my dear wife Janet, I sensed a leading to lead our church through a Bible reading plan for the whole year of 2020. The Bible Reading Podcast was sort of an offspring out of that initiative, and though not a smash hit by any means, it has actually reached like around the world, sort of. We have listeners in over 80 different countries, which is pretty crazy. So, hail to all of you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I will say early on in the Bible Questions Podcast, which I imagine not many of you were around for, probably almost zero, I think it was episode five. We covered the topic of gossip, and today we're going to revisit that topic. And again, this won't be an exact copy of that episode, but it will be derived from it. And I'll reuse some of the quotes in a couple of places and that sort of thing. I'm just saying that for the small handful of people that have somehow, some way, been around since summer of 2019. Our Bible readings for this fair Tuesday will feature 2 Kings chapter 8. Psalm 119, 49 through 72, Daniel chapter 12, and 1 Timothy 5. Now, our discussion of gossip derives from 1 Timothy 5, where Paul warns that some younger widows have gotten into the habit of being idle and gossips and warns against such practice. Many other places in the Word feature warnings against gossiping for all of us, and when we carefully look at Scripture, we are going to discover that gossip is actually a far more serious and harmful practice than most of us realize. So allow me to open with a great warning against gossip from pastor and Gospel Coalition member Ray Ortland, who says, Gossip leaves a wide trail of devastation wherever and however it goes. Word of mouth, email, blogging, YouTube, social media. It erodes trust and destroys morale. It creates a social environment of suspicion where everyone must wonder what is being said behind their backs and whether appearances of friendship are sincere. It ruins hard-won reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. Gossip manipulates people into taking sides when no such action is necessary or beneficial. It unleashes the dark powers of psychological transference, doing violence to the gossiper and to the one receiving the gossip and to the person being spoken against. It makes the body of Christ look like the body of Antichrist, destroyers rather than healers. 
It exhausts the energies we would otherwise devote to positive witness. It robs our Lord of the church he deserves. It exposes the hostility in our hearts, and it discredits the gospel in the eyes of the world. Then we wonder why we don't see more conversions, why the ground is so hard. Gossip is dangerous. Now, the church has been talking about gossip for a very, very, very long time. In fact, Clement of Rome who likely knew Peter and John personally, because he died in the year 99 AD, and he was a big-time church leader back then, said this about gossip in the first century. Since we are a holy portion, we should do everything that makes for holiness. We should flee from slandering, vile and impure embraces, drunkenness, rioting, filthy lusts, detestable adultery, and disgusting arrogance. For God, says Scripture, resists the arrogant, but gives grace to the humble." We should attach ourselves to those to whom God's grace has been given. We should clothe ourselves with concord or unity, being humble, self-control, far removed from all gossiping and slandering, and justified by our deeds, not by our words. Now, some of you might consider uh, gossip a sin that females have a particular proclivity towards, but I don't find that to be the case in the Bible nor in pastoral experience, nor in my own heart. The Bible describes gossip as a tasty but spiritually deadly morsel, and I can attest that gossip gossip is a genuine temptation for me because, in part, uh, not only am I a very sinful person, I'm also a very, very curious person. Now, Charles Spurgeon challenges all of us, men and women, about the dangers of gossip. He says, Gossips of both genders give up the shameful trade of tail-bearing. Don't be the devil's bellows any longer to blow up the fire of strife. Leave off setting people by the ears. If you do not cut a bit off of your tongues, at least season them with the salt of grace. Praise God more and blame your neighbors less. Any goose can cackle and any fly can find out a sore place. Any empty barrel can give forth sound. Any briar can tear a man's flesh. No flies will go down your throat if you keep your mouth shut, and no evil speaking will come up. Think about much, but say little. Be quick at work and slow at talk, and above all, ask the Lord to set a watch over your lips. Great advice, Brother Spurgeon. Thank you. So what exactly is gossip? I've found that several times over the past few years, I've wondered about that question, and several people have asked me about it more than once. Well, here's the thing. Gossip is mentioned less than 10 times in most translations of the Bible. Eight times in the NIV, four times in the ESV. In the NIV, six of those eight times are in the Old Testament, and unsurprisingly, all six of them are in Proverbs. In the English Standard Version, three of those four times are in the New Testament, and the one Old Testament reference is in Ezekiel. So what does that tell us? I think it tells us that our best Bible scholars don't necessarily have a great grip on what gossip is either. But it is very clear in the Bible that gossip is a harmful practice, damaging to the unity of the church and damaging to those who participate in it. What's not terribly clear to everybody is precisely what gossip designated, what gossip designates or what it means, but today we are going to do our level best to help clear that up. That scripture doesn't explicitly define gossip should give us pause, particularly when we decide to point the finger at somebody and identify 
their actions as gossip. I've seen and received more than one accusation of gossip that didn't seem to line up quite with what the scripture identifies as gossip. And so we're going to try to really dig down and see what the word of God says. And hopefully we can avoid pointing accusing fingers at other people who may or may not be gossiping and be a little more concerned about ourselves not gossiping. So though the Bible never precisely defines what is meant by gossip, it is crystal clear about how we should act toward other people and what is allowed and what isn't allowed in our conversations with each other and about each other. So here's kind of a shocking truth that could be the fact of the podcast. When it comes to the Bible, pummeling people with our words is just as wrong as pummeling people with our fists. And I want to reiterate, because most people who engage in criticism, gossip, slander, cut downs, etc., probably aren't like physical bullies going around punching people in the back and that sort of thing. It's easy for them to say dank words about people, but they probably wouldn't just walk up to somebody at the local Walmart and take a swing at their face. When it comes to the Bible, though, there's no difference between the wounds we inflict with our fists and wounds we inflict with knives and swords. They're they're the same thing. So consider warnings like James 3.8, No man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poisons. Or Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So we can attack people with our tongues, with our words, like a sword does. That's pretty rough. And Paul gives us a general rule about our conversations in Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So that's a good place for our start, uh, to start our discussion of gossip. We need to make every effort in our words, in our discussions about each other, to aim for peace and mutual edification or upbuilding or lifting people up. Our words and actions need to be delivered with a heart of blessing, peace, and building up. Encouragement, not criticism, not, not tearing down. That's, we want to avoid that. Conversations that are not intended to edify or build somebody up or work towards their ultimate good, therefore, are not allowed for Christians. So let's take a pause and uh, focus on something far more important than my commentary and actually read the Word of God. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Support widows who are genuinely in need, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, is well known for her good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saint's feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, They want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. 
They are not only idle, but also are gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us, for some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it can help widows in genuine need. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them in judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. So Ephesians 4.29 gives us a pretty good rule about any sort of conversations, when it says, No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. So gossip does not build people up. In the NIV, we are told in Proverbs 11, 13 and 16, 28 that a gossip separates close friends and in 26, 20 that a gossip causes a quarrel to keep going. In Proverbs 18, 8 and 2019, we learn that gossips betray confidences and the kind of words they share are like the help, the, the choice morsels or the tasty food we talked about earlier. So interesting that people want to hear them and in a sense, Words of gossip are like delicious to our ears, but terrible for our souls. In Romans 1, Paul gives a long description of the actions of just generically wicked people, and along with sexual perversity, envy, strife, murder, and malice, is that they are gossips. Yes, gossip mentioned right there along the same lines is murder, malice, and sexual perversity. The Greek word that he uses there in that Romans passage is Sitheristes, which literally means whisperers. You didn't hear me? Whisperers. Beyond that, Paul doesn't really tell us exactly what gossip is in that passage. Similarly, Paul doesn't describe gossip in detail in 2 Corinthians 12, 20, where the same Greek word, whisperers, is used in this way. For I'm afraid that when I come to you, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. So let's see how gossip fits in with all those other kind of terrible things. In both of those passages, the King James Version translates the word sitheristes as whisperings, which I think is a pretty good translation that really gets at the heart of the word meaning. One other time in the Bible where that word is used is the Ecclesiastes 10 in the Greek Septuagint version of the Old Testament, where a snake charmer is described as using whisperings or sitheristes as a way to charm a snake. Hmm, that makes you think, doesn't it? The final appearance of the English word for gossip in the New Testament is actually in our focus passage today, 1 Timothy 5.13, where the word used is fluoros, a Greek word that means 
a person uttering foolish things, babbling of things foolish, trifling, or vain. And the passage reads, besides that, they learn to be idlers going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Now, that actually seems to be a little bit different from the Sidharistes word, and the Greek word there for gossip, translated as tattlers in the King James Version, actually comes from a word that means to bubble and can also mean to babble. A few other passages from the Old Testament, Proverbs eleven thirteen: a gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. All right, so that gives us a clue. Gossip can be whisperings about somebody. Gossip can be vain babblings about somebody. Gossip can be revealing secrets. Proverbs 16, 28, a contrary man spreads conflict and a gossip separates close friends. So gossip destroys unity. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. So what does a gossip do? A gossip inflames disagreements and wounds and things like that. Proverbs 20:19, the one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth, all right? So you know that person, or hope it's not you, that like kind of knows everybody's business and shares it? Run from those people, and if that's you, repent. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. It's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Proverbs 26, 20, without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. So man, gossip directly contributes to conflict and disunity and arguments in a home, in an office setting, in a work situation, in a church situation, in the same way that wood contributes to a fire. That's pretty strong words. So putting the biblical testimony above together, I believe we can reasonably conclude that gossip entails privately or secretly telling secrets or unauthorized juicy details about somebody else in a non-edifying manner with a non-edifying goal. Remember that edifying means to build somebody up. Number two, gossip means discussing other people excessively in a sort of nosy babbling sort of way, bubbling over with informations and guessings and speculations that gets into the realm of foolish babble and speculation. Gossip betrays trusts. It ruins friendship. It throws gasoline on conflicts and it separates close people. It is the very opposite of wisdom, integrity, and being trustworthy. I do note here that Proverbs, the book of wisdom, has the absolute most to say about the topic of gossip in the Bible. For instance, in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the word gossip makes 13 appearances, and over half of those mentions seven are warnings in the book of Proverbs. So I believe we can extrapolate that gossip essentially is the very opposite of wise behavior. People who spend their time gossiping and reading about gossip and sharing gossip on Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram or whatever are wasting their time on incredibly foolish activities and themselves becoming foolish, shallow, and vapid. Run away from such things and don't read about them either online and don't give clicks to those things. Now, when I originally wrote part of this article uh, several months ago, a gossip rag somewhere that I saw mentioned on the front page of Reddit had just released a picture of a popular 90s celebrity that was criticizing his appearance as disheveled 
And but the poor guy had just gotten out of the hospital. Uh, he'd been in the hospital for months with some sort of terrible GI issue. And now he has to deal with his picture being spread across all these websites gossiping about his appearance. And of course, he's going to look disheveled. He just got out of the hospital after a long th- time. So we should avoid such things as Christians like that. Gossiping about celebrities and politicians is still gossip, and it makes us increasingly foolish rather than increasingly wise. So what is the takeaway? You and I, we should be very, very careful when communicating about somebody that is not present to somebody else, whether they're a celebrity or a friend or somebody in the church or somebody at our office or workplace or whatever. Don't share their secrets. Don't share juicy details about their lives. Don't speculate about their motives. Don't judge them. Don't talk about what they're thinking, why they did such and such a thing, especially when that speculation is negative. And you know what? Your boss counts as somebody you shouldn't gossip about. The fact of the matter is that you and I don't actually know somebody's motives at all. And such things, motives of people, are notoriously difficult to guess from the outside. Sometimes I don't even know what motivates my own actions. So I really should run away from having a discussion with somebody else when a third party isn't there about that third party and try to figure out why they did something. That's silly and that really is gossip. Don't try to combine all the juicy details we know about somebody's life into some sort of cohesive narrative. Those sorts of gossipy investigations are like almost always wrong in their conclusions. And not only are they wrong for a Christian, they're off limits entirely because they're gossipy and we're not supposed to do that. It should be noted, importantly, that some conversations about other people can take place without their being present. Just talking about another person without that person being there does not qualify as gossip. Otherwise, Paul would be guilty of gossip in passages like Galatians 2.11-15 and 2 Timothy 4.10, where he talks about somebody that's not there. As well, not everything that happens that is negative is actually prohibited from being a point of discussion. For instance, we see in 1 Corinthians 1.11, Paul says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Well, is that gossip? I don't think so. What is the dividing line? I think the answer goes back to Romans 14.19. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. If the purpose of a discreet conversation is genuinely and truly the building up or the well-being of somebody being discussed, then I don't believe that qualifies as gossip. The people from Chloe's household who were saying that there's disunity and quarrels there, they weren't trying to tear somebody down. They were apparently concerned about the situation in the church, so they told Paul, not gossip. That wasn't gossip because their ultimate goal, I believe, was edification. Two church elders discussing a church member who might be struggling with, I don't know, an alcohol addiction or something like that, and their motivation is to lovingly help that person? Probably not gossip. On the other hand, two pastors discussing a third pastor of a church that's much larger than theirs and speculating that he has underhanded and worldly character as evidenced by his huge house and nice car? Yeah, that's going to be gossip. I believe the determining factor is a heart issue, and thus we need to be very sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit when we're talking about other people that aren't there. We should be really, really careful with every discussion we have about a third or fourth party, including celebrities, bosses, and politicians who aren't around to defend themselves. 
If that discussion is 100% motivated by love and a desire for the greater good, encouragement and building up of the person being discussed, then that conversation probably isn't gossip. Well, we just need to be led by the gentle nudges of the Holy Spirit. Better safe than sorry. James, by the way, guides us well here, writing that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. One important note here. The distinguishing mark of whether something is or isn't gossip is not whether or not the information is true. You can have some information that is juicy and salacious and it be true, and that doesn't mean you aren't gossiping. Ray Ortland puts it this way, gossip is not necessarily false information, slander is false. Gossip might include true information, and maybe that's why gossip doesn't always feel sinful. What makes it sin, first and foremost, is that the Bible says it's sin, but gossip spreads what can include accurate information to diminish, not build up, another person. That is not how people behave when they are living in the power of the grace of God. Well, you know who's guilty of gossip? You are. (laughs) You know who else? I am. Many times we need the word and the spirit to help tame our tongues. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I do. So how does one avoid gossip? I believe that this is an issue that is a little bit less about what the precise definition of gospel is and a little more about the state of the heart and the predominance of love in it towards those who are being discussed, as well as a deep and sincere desire for the object of discussion to be edified and blessed. I believe a group of church leaders can, in a godly way, discuss rumors of a certain member of the fellowship engaging in drunkenness or adultery or abuse or something like that. I believe at the same time, though, it is possible for those same church leaders to discuss those issues in a way that is salacious or juicy or whatever and not motivated by the building up of the person and the building up of the church and therefore that would qualify as a gossip. What distinguishes the two? The best I can tell you is that it is the attitude of the heart and its love as well as a genuine desire for edification that is the distinguishing factor. Ultimately, it should be repeated that judicious care needs to be taken in any conversation about a party that is not privy to that conversation. So let me close with some good words of wisdom from my good friend, Pastor David McConnell at Agape Baptist in Pinson, Alabama. Oh, and by the way, speaking of David, did you hear about him and I'm just kidding. I don't really have any gossip about David, but he does have a great word for us on gossip. And so I will close with his quote. He says, in an age when anyone with a smartphone can publish dirt on anyone else, we must know that spreading antagonistic messages online with the intent of provoking hostility without any desire for resolution is what the world calls trolling and what the New Testament calls slander. The Greek word there means to speak against. Online slander includes spreading false information, rumors, or negative reports about others with the intent to harm or destroy. This would include private text or email communications, the same as it would face-to-face discussions. Criticism behind another person's back in any format is gossip, which is forbidden by the New Testament. Additionally, Christians are called to do their best to handle disputes face-to-face and not publicly Even if your social media posts remain anonymous, for instance, when you are subtweeting, posting a critical or mocking post about a particular person without mentioning their name, and engaging in online arguments or extremely heated debates run the risk of ruining your witness to others and dishonoring 
the name of Jesus, especially among the unsaved. Wise words from Pastor David McConnell. I exhort you and I exhort me that we should avoid gossip and aim for edification when we talk about other people. Let's continue to 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. Elisha said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Get ready, you and your household, and go live as a resident alien wherever you can, for the Lord has announced a seven-year famine, and it has already come to the land. So the woman got ready and did what the man of God said. She and her household lived as resident aliens in the land of the Philistines for seven years. When the woman returned from the land of the Philistines at the end of seven years, she went to appeal to the king for her house and field. The king had been speaking to Gehazi, the attendant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things Elisha has done. While he was telling the king how Elisha restored the dead son to life, the woman whose son he had restored to life came to appeal to the king for her house and field. So Gehazi said, My lord the king, this is the woman and this is the son Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she told him the story. So the king appointed a court official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, along with all the income from the field from the day she left the country until now. Elisha came to Damascus while King Ben-Hadad of Aram was sick, and the king was told, The man of God has come here. So the king said to Hazael, Take a gift with you and go meet the man of God. Inquire of the Lord through him. Will I recover from this sickness? Hazael went to meet Elisha, taking with him a gift, forty camel loads of all the finest products of Damascus. When he came and stood before him, he said, Your son, King Ben-Hadad of Aram, has sent me to ask you, will I recover from this sickness? Elisha told him, Go and say to him, You are sure to recover, but the Lord has shown me that he is sure to die. Then he stared steadily at him until he was ashamed. The man of God wept, and Hazael asked, Why is my Lord weeping? Elisha replied, Because I know the evil you will do to the people of Israel. You will set their fortresses on fire. You will kill their young men with a sword. You will dash their children to pieces. You will rip open their pregnant women. Hazael said, How could your servant, a mere dog, do such a mighty deed? Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will be king over Aram. Hazael left Elisha and went to his master, who asked him, What did Elisha say to you? And he responded, He told me you are sure to recover. The next day, Hazael took a heavy cloth, dipped it in water, and spread it over the king's face. Ben-Hadad died, and Hazael reigned in his place. In the fifth year of Israel's king Joram, son of Ahab, Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, became king of Judah, replacing his father. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for Ahab's daughter was his wife. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. For the sake of his servant David, the Lord was unwilling to destroy Judah, since he had promised to give a lamp to David and his sons forever. During Jehoram's reign, Edom rebelled against Judah's control and appointed their own king. So Jehoram crossed over to Zaire with all his chariots. Then at night he set out to attack the Edomites who had surrounded him and the chariot commanders, but his troops fled to their tents. So Edom is still in rebellion against Judah's control today. Libna also rebelled at that time. The rest of the events of Jehoram's reign, along with his accomplishments, are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. Jehoram rested with his ancestors and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David, and his son Ahaziah became king in his place. In the twelfth year, uh, year of Israel's king Joram, son of Ahab, Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, became king of Judah. 
Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, granddaughter of Israel's king Omri. He walked in the ways of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the Lord's sight like the house of Ahab, for his father had married into the house of Ahab. Ahaziah went with Joram, son of Ahab, to fight against King Hazael of Aram in Ramoth-Gilead, and the Arameans wounded Joram. So King Joram returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds that the Arameans had inflicted on him in Ramoth-Gilead when he fought against Aram's King Hazael. Then Judah's son, King Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, went down to Jezreel to visit son of Joram, son of Ahab, since Joram was ill. Psalm 119, verses 49 through 72. Remember your word to your servant. You've given me hope through it. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. The arrogant constantly ridicule me, but I do not turn away from your instruction. Lord, I remember your judgments from long ago and find comfort. Fury seizes me because of the wicked who reject your instruction. Your statutes are the theme of my song during my earthly life. Lord, I remember your name in the night and I obey your instruction. This is my practice. I obey your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I have sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I thought about my ways and turned my steps back to your decrees. I hurried, not hesitating to keep your commands. Though the works of the wicked were wrapped around me, I did not forget your instruction. I rise at midnight to thank you for your righteous judgments. I am a friend to all who fear you, to those who keep your precepts. Lord, the earth is filled with your faithful love. Teach me your statutes. Lord, you have treated your servant well, just as you promised. Teach me good judgment and discernment, for I rely on your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have smeared me with lies, but I obey your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are hard and insensitive, but I delight in your instruction. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. Instruction from your lips is better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. One of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river, How long until the end of these wondrous things? Then I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river. He raised both his hands toward heaven and swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people is shattered, all these things will be completed. I heard but did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? He said, go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. 
From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Happy is the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest and then you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. Amen. Well, dear friends, may the Lord give you his peace and his comfort. May his word encourage and build you up. May your tongue and mine avoid gossip and slander. And may we edify others with our speech. Good day to you and Godspeed.